election, John Adams and then Jefferson, all of these elections, if you trace the history of them, have always kind of boiled down to two guys competing uh, to uh, be the leader of what we call the free world. And these two guys, um, usually the last two candidates standing, um, always represent two parties. And the parties uh, that they represent all have different positions. In other words, each party has some distinct nuances and characteristics about it. And so when you go to vote, and, and you vote for these two guys, these guys don't necessarily represent their own personal convictions as much as they represent the convictions of the party in which they represent. And so uh, if you just look at it, this past election, we, we had President Obama versus Romney. And each one had different positions on different issues, usually these issues representing the party, or if it's uh, Bush Kerry, Bush Gore, uh, Clinton Dole, all, all of these candidates representing a party, the Republican Party or Democratic Party, but they are not simply representing themselves, but they are also representing the position of the party that they represent. So in our democratic process, we have two major parties, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And so I'm going to give you just some differences on issues. Now, the Democratic Party would be considered to be the Liberal Party, whereas the Republican Party would be considered to be a conservative party. Democrats typically um, are in favor of raising taxes in order to sustain certain programs and certain privileges that we have. And so the Republican Party is typically against any type of taxation. Um, Democrats are usually want to decrease spending on the military, whereas Republicans usually want to increase spending on the military. Usually, and it's, it's not everybody, but basically the parties typically have the, they have the same views from person to person. So gay marriage, the Democratic Party would be pretty much in support of gay marriage, whereas the Republican Party pretty much opposed to gay marriage. Abortion, Roe versus Wade, the Democratic Party would pretty much be in favor of supporting abortion rights, whereas the Republican Party would be uh, opposed to Roe versus Wade or abor abortion rights. Social responsibility, social programs, and social justice, the Democratic Party is typically is concerned about what happens in communities and that we try to bring about level playing fields in different communities, whereas the Republican Party believes in the preeminence of the individual and not the group and that everybody sort of pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Well, so these are not necessarily individual convictions as much as they are the principles around the parties that these people represent. And so in our text today, Paul is talking about something very similar. Um, he says in our text, he talks about there are two guys. There is the first Adam, he calls them, and then there is the second Adam. He said because it always, what Paul is saying, it's going to always boil down to a choice in terms of what system you're going to follow. Somebody say amen. 
And these two guys, the first Adam and the second Adam, represent two different worldviews, two different approaches to how life should be lived. So Paul talks about uh, the first Adam, and for your worksheets, you see, the two Adams represent, let's call it this, they represent two different realities. Amen. And so just, just, just as we uh, might look at our political process, neither the conservative view or the uh, liberal view, neither view is necessarily right or wrong, but there are two different ways of looking at the world and approaching the world. And so it is in the Bible, it says these two, two atoms represent two different, different realities. Verse 45 says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. And so the first Adam, and you may want to note this, the first Adam represents the physical world. And the second Adam represents the spiritual world. And these are two different ways of viewing life. Both worlds are real. The physical world is real. And the spiritual world is also real. Both worlds are necessary. There is a need for the physical world. Somebody say amen. You, 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 I mean, when you get hungry, you don't, I'm, I'm talking about your stomach's growling. I mean, you don't want a spiritual burger. For Christmas, you don't want a spiritual turkey and a spiritual ham. Amen. You want some physical food. Somebody say amen. Yes. And so, 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 the, so the physical world is, is real and it is necessary. But so is the spiritual world. It is also real, and it is also necessary. Both worlds are important. And let me see if I can explain to you the difference between the physical world and the spiritual world. And, and, and it's simply this. It's simply this. It's not better or worse. It's not good or evil. The physical world is temporary. And the spiritual world is permanent. Well, the Bible would say it like this. The physical world does not last. It's fading away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Amen. But the spiritual world, the Bible term, is eternal. It lasts forever. Now, the physical world will always peak in the now. At some point, it's going to come to a peak. And then it's going to go into decline. Whereas the spiritual world does not peak in the now. It, it is someplace in the future, someplace unknown to us. So therefore, when we are living our lives according to the physical world, we're always going to reach a point, and then you're going to go down. S somebody say amen. If you, if you don't believe it, just go to Rome. When you go to Rome, you see what was. <laughs> you don't go to Rome to see what is. You go to Rome to see, what, when you look at the Colosseum in Rome, that is what was. It reached its peak, amen. And now it is on, it has declined. And, and everything in the physical world peaks in the now. And then it is in decline. But the spiritual world, we know no such thing as maxing out spirituality. Maxing out the spiritual world. The physical world is visible and the spiritual world, listen, is invisible but real. You cannot define real by what you can see. It's, it's somebody say amen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's real though it is invisible. 
And so here's the thing that you have to understand about both the physical world and the spiritual world. The physical world can influence the spiritual world. And the spiritual world can influence the physical world. And so what the Bible is trying to teach us here in this chapter on the resurrection, because the resurrection is not about the now, it's about the later. It's about the future. And so it it is a matter of which worldview are we going to allow to influence the other? Are we going to choose the physical world to influence our spiritual world, or are we going to choose the spiritual world to influence our physical world? Now, that's the whole thing. What choice are we going to make? So let me tell you how difficult this is. Natural precedes spiritual with regard to responsiveness. That's in your worksheet. Natural precedes spiritual. But that's a terrible way to say it. I'm not saying that clear. The scripture says this, the spiritual, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth and the second man for heaven. So what I'm trying to say is that when we respond to things, we tend to first respond in the physical. And then perhaps in the spiritual. Let me see if I can make it clear. I left my cell phone in the office, but on my cell phone, I have two email addresses on my cell phone, and the cell phone is set so that anytime I want to send an email, the cell phone does not alternate between email addresses. It's an email address. One of the email addresses on my cell phone is what's called the default email address. And so if I just open up my cell phone, pull up the email, type in somebody's email address, the default email address is always going to be the one that comes up unless I physically and intentionally change the email address. So what I'm trying to say is this, the way we function. Whenever there's a decision to make, whenever there's a choice that to make, usually what we do is default. We are sort of programmed, pre-programmed, preset to function in the context of the physical. You see, uh, the, the reason I love my wife and probably a big reason why I married my wife because my wife is pound for pound. She is one of the finest girls I have ever seen. I mean, she looks just as good now, amen, as she did the day I saw her. Uh, She used to distract me. She's sitting in church. I'm trying to serve the Lord and everything. She's sitting in church, and they're smiling and all of that. And that's how I first saw her. But her physical attraction. Let me not, let me, let me not, let me not be fake. I, I mean, I didn't matter. I didn't, I wasn't attracted to her because she could pray. Yeah, I, I wasn't attracted to her because she uh, could read the Bible and quote scriptures. What, what my default pre-programmed way of responding was, was physical first. 
I wish I had somebody say amen, know what I'm talking about. And so that, and, and see, it's not just in choosing mates. It's almost everything that we choose that we always look first to how is this going to benefit me in the physical world? How's my money going to buy me a bigger house, a better car, more clothing? How am I going to be able to travel? We don't think spiritual first. You, you see what I'm saying? And so here we have a dilemma. Because whenever we choose physical first, we're always choosing something that will not last. Oh, I wish I had. We are, we are choosing something that eventually what we have chosen is going to go into decline. And so this is particularly true in how we make choices when we are tempted to rebel against God. You see, because the choices we make determine where we will find ourselves in the future. Yeah, your intentions don't determine where you're going to go. Yeah, your, your plans don't determine where you're going to end up. It's your choice. I wish I had. It's your choices that will determine where we'll be. Now, the first Adam, he had a choice in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. Let me read it quickly. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden. But God said, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, chapter 3 of Genesis. And you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open physical. And you will be like God and knowing good from evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit was good from the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took of it and ate of it. And so she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together. And made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he thought he was asking him, where are you physically? Because that's what we always think first, physically. And so he answers the physical answer. He says, well, I heard you uh, in the garden. I was afraid. And I was naked, so I hid. But God knew where he was physically because he walked towards him. Amen. Amen. And, and, but, but he wants to know where are you not, not physically, not what is your geographical location. But where are you spiritually? Isn't that always the question? Yeah, 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 yeah. When somebody says, what's happening? How you doing? Where are you? What's going on? The, the real answer is always the spiritual answer. And, and so God says, well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from it? God gave Adam a spiritual commandment because everything that God tells us to do is always about something spiritual. But Adam chose to respond physically according to what he wanted and what he desired and what he thought would be beneficial to him spiritually. Let's look at another example. Now, the second Adam also had a temptation. And this is recorded in Matthew chapter 4. 
It says, and Jesus was led of the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Wow. Here you have the spirit, spiritual, good spiritual, driving you into the desert, a neutral place, to be tempted by the devil, evil spiritual. Wow. So good spiritual is putting you in a place to be tested by evil spiritual. Y'all will get that later on. In other words, sometimes God puts us in situations to see whether or not we are ready for what we say we're ready for. Yeah, I said, God, I'm ready for the blessing. God, I'm ready for the anointing. God, I'm ready for the promotion. I'm ready for the elevation. So what God does is tells the Holy Spirit to push you into a place. And that place, is, is your lips are not going to determine whether or not you're ready. The place is going to determine whether or not you're ready for what God has for you next. Because, see, after every temptation that God pushes us into, there is a promotion on the other side of the temptation. But we are required to pass the temptation. I would say pass the temptation. And so it says here, he was there to tempt about the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, physically. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, if you are who you say you are spiritually, tell uh, these stones to become bread, physically. And Jesus answered, it is written spiritual. Man does not live by bread alone, physical." But by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, spiritual. <laughs> you see, you got to know how to answer when you're be, being tested in your flesh and you're being tested physically. Jesus said, I've got to have more nutrients than what McDonald's, Burger King, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and Cheesecake Factory can give to me. Amen. Next temptation. Because here's the thing. If you pass the first test, that does not convince the devil. I wish I had some help. <laughs> yeah, getting by one time does not convince the devil. And so it says, so the devil took him up on a holy city, uh, uh, to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point in the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, if you are who you say you are spiritually, he said, throw yourself down physically. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. Spiritual resources will be made available to you. And they will lift up your, their hands, lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike yourself. You won't hurt yourself physically. And Jesus answered, it is written, do not put the Lord to the test. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that even though I know that God will watch over me and that God will protect me and that his grace is sufficient and unlimited, I don't test God. In other words, I don't do wrong in order to prove that God will do right. I wish I, yeah. In other words, I, well, it, it, just because I have insurance, Brother Mullins, just because I'm covered 100%, I got collision and I've got liability and I've got uninsured motorists, just because I'm covered doesn't mean I crash. In other words, I still try to do what God's spiritual has told me to do in the physical. And then he has one more temptation. So the devil is not convinced. And he, and he pulls out all the stops. He says now, he says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. If you, in verse 9, will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan. That's a spiritual commitment. For it is written, worship the Lord your God. That's spiritual. And serve him only. In other words, what he does is draws the line in the sand. And he clarifies everything. 
and he, and he chooses God, the spiritual, uh, over everything else that he could receive. Now, here's the thing. This is the way God operates. God, and this is the way the spiritual world operates. The spiritual world does not operate like a mixed drink. I'm not talking to, I'm, I'm talking to some of the, you know, folk that know about that. Everybody that know about mixed drinks, amen. But, see, I was in San Francisco a few weeks ago, and I was having dinner, what they call the bar area. I was in the bar area. <laughs> this is click, 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 yeah. Yeah, when you get your receipt, it says bar on it, but I was in the bar area. And one of the first things the lady asked me, would you like a drink? And I asked, I said, well, what kind of drinks do you have? She said, well, we got mixed drinks. And so I really don't know a lot about drinks. I know some things about some drinks, but I don't know a lot about So I said, what's a mix? What do you call a mixed drink? She said, that's like, you know, say scotch and water, or you can take bourbon and Coke and, she said, and mix it together. I said, okay. I said, well, let me have a strawberry daiquiri on the virgin side. I have one of those. Because I got to use this for a sermon illustration and I keep it like that. So anyway, but here, here's the thing. Let's, let's just get rid of all of this sanctimonious stuff that we've had in all of our life, faking, sitting out there like we think drinking is wrong. Because first of all, most of you don't even believe that drinking is wrong. And you already have already believed in your private life. It's all right for me every now and then to take me a drink. There's nothing wrong with my white Ziffendale if every now and then I want me some gin and tonic. I don't care what you hear me say. You've already concluded in your mind, if I want me a drink, I'm going to take me a drink. All right, so let's get rid of all that, right? And let's just assume that Johnny Walker Red is all right. Nothing wrong with Jack Daniels and Johnny Walker and Tangeray, all right? Let's just, let's just assume. Now, here it is in the spiritual. Let's just say that Johnny Walker Red represents the spiritual and Coke represents the physical. You see, with God, you don't drink, you don't mix anything with it. It's either God by himself or it's not God. I wish I had some help. In other words, it's one or the other. Now, in the physical world, the physical world doesn't mind you messing around with a little Bible and then messing around with a little God, a little bit of Holy Ghost and a little bit of hell. But when it comes to God, it's either God or nothing. He told his children, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one that delivered you. I'm the one that broke the chains. I'm the one that's going to feed you in the, in the wilderness. He says, you shall not choose any other gods. I don't care what happens, what it looks like, how tough it gets. It's me or nobody. And so God, and the way the spiritual world works, is that we choose God and God only. Finally, God, this was my last point here. Y'all got it in the worksheet? I can't find it. What does it say? Oh, that's it. Let's close this out. The goal 
is to choose or resemble the second Adam, who is Jesus. When I was in, when I was in high school, I played on a football team with a guy by the name of Reggie Moultrie. Reggie Moultrie was the best player on our football team. Reggie Moultrie was an all-state defensive back. But the thing is about Reggie, Reggie could really play any position on the field. And so when our quarterback got hurt, Reggie was the person who became our quarterback. And there's a strange thing that the coach used to do in practice. He'd be trying to teach the players certain kind of technique. Could be something as simple as a four-point stance for a defensive lineman or an offensive lineman. And when they couldn't get it right, this is what he'd do. He said, Reggie, come here, Reggie. Show them how to do a four-point stance and fire off the line. So whether it was a, a linebacker who didn't know how to had, position his, his uh, body under his hips and all that kind of stuff. He said, Reggie, come here and show. In other words, what he did, Reggie was our captain. He used Reggie as the model to teach us about every aspect of the football game that he wanted us to learn. When God sent Jesus Christ, see, one of the reasons God sent Jesus Christ is so that we could have a physical example of what it meant to live out every aspect of the human experience. This is what the Bible says about Jesus, that he was tempted. Somebody say tempted. You think you've been tempted, but it says he was tempted in every way, just like you're tempted, yet he did not sin. So the goal is for us to resemble Jesus, for our lives to look like Jesus. A couple of ways, I want to give you two or three ways in which your life should look like Jesus. And then we're finished. First of all, you should look like Jesus in holiness. Mm. Yeah, write, write, write this down. How, how should we look like Jesus? How should we resemble Jesus, the f- second Adam? You should look like Jesus in holiness. First Peter chapter 2, verse 16 says this, and it quotes the Old Testament. You be holy... Because I am holy. Okay, I need about four people to come help me real quick. Four people to come up on the stage real quick. I'm going to show you what holiness means. Just four people real quick. Four people real quick. Four people real quick. Any four. It doesn't matter. Come on. Real four. Four, four, four. Four, 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 four. Come on. Real four, four, four. Okay, come on. Come on. Come on, Tal. All right. You all stand here. Stand here. Stand here. Stand here. All right, here. Now I need, I need one more. I need more. Brother Washington, will you come, please? All right. Real simple. I want all of you to stand together. Brother Washington, I want you to stand with me. Now, this is, what, this is what holiness means. Holiness means that, holiness does not mean this. doesn't mean that he comes and he gets, rid, gets away from everybody. That's not holiness, that I separate myself from everybody else. I can't, I'm too good to be with Harvey. And I don't like the way he talks. He doesn't use the language that I like to hear. He uh, doesn't uh, watch basketball. Oh, he watches too much basketball. And he does. We can't say what he does. <laughs> Amen. And that's not holiness. Holiness is not where you have categorically separated yourself from other, body, other people on the premise that you're different. 
Because the truth is, you're not all that much different. You might be different as far as we can see. Now, this is holiness. Come on, Brother Washington. This is Brother, come on, come on, get right here in the middle of them. Scoot down just a little bit, yeah. Now, this is holiness. Now, holiness, first of all, he has this bright yellow shirt on, right? Holiness means this, that everybody can see. You don't have to tell them. You don't have to announce it. You don't have to hand. Everybody can look at them and tell that there's something, something different about this guy right here. Am I, am I right? That, that, that's, now, the second thing about so holiness is this. You intentionally try to live in such a way not to demonstrate that you're any better, but to demonstrate that you are different. Somebody say amen. All I'm trying to do, I'm just trying to be different. I'm trying to be uh, uh, like God. I'm trying to be like Jesus Christ. Secondly, holiness means this. It is impossible to be holy and a segregationist. So holiness always gets in the midst of unholiness. Because if it's not in the midst of unholiness, then there's no way to determine. That's just like this. It's no such thing as darkness if there is not light. There's no such thing as rich if there is not poor. How do I know that he's holy? Because he's in the midst of something that is different than what he is. And I have the opportunity now to choose which one I want to be. Now, what you're supposed to do is to put yourself. You all can be seated. Amen. God bless you. Appreciate y'all. God bless you. Amen. Thanks, Clarence. Now, what you're supposed to do and what I'm supposed to do is to intentionally put myself in situations and circumstances that is different from who I am. I wish I had some help. That means when you're at work and you are a Christian, you don't sit in some corner by yourself with your Bible praying prayers over your greasy french fries. No, you need to sit with somebody. That is the exact opposite of who you are and what you are. You see, holiness can stand up in the midst of unholiness. You see, unholiness cannot penetrate holiness unless holiness allows unholiness to penetrate. In other words, when God fills you with his Holy Spirit and God covers you in his blood, God gives you the power to stand in the midst of in other words, when Jesus said, let your light shine, he's not asking you to shine your light for you. Let it shine in darkness. And so what the, the first difference that we want to make is that we want to be like Jesus in holiness. Secondly, we want to be like Jesus in attitude. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now... Woo, woo, man, let me tell you something. If you're talking about, if you're talking about a spiritual checkup, you don't even got, y'all just pardon my bad language, but I just have to use it because you ain't even got to go to no doctor to know that you got some, you can do some self-diagnosis here because everybody in here, if we just check ourselves and we don't need anybody to tell us, we already know we got some attitudinal issues. I wish I had something. I don't have to take no Myers-Briggs test. I don't have to take no personality diagnostic test. I 
already know I've got some attitudinal issues. If I were to tell you the truth, there are some people I don't like. I just don't like them. I don't want to be around them. I don't like the way they roll. I don't like the way they act. But that's not how Jesus is. Jesus said, I want you to love everybody. But God, they're my enemies. They've been stabbing me in my back. God said, I don't care if they stab you in your back. I want you to love your enemies because that is the way Jesus is. Let your attitude be the same as Jesus' attitude. Some of us got a stink attitude. You can't even ride from the house to the church without getting into an argument. You got a stink attitude. You can't talk about money. You can't talk about food. You can't talk about the mortgage without blowing your top. You got a stink attitude. Your children can't have no conversation with you. They can't disagree with you. They can't agree with you because you got a stank attitude. What God wants you to do is allow his Holy Spirit to work on your attitude. Yeah. Listen, the only thing that keeps you from going high is your attitude. it's time to go so many times we're blaming somebody else since the flowers on Friday I went under the instructions of my doctor to have an MRI done on my shoulder so in my mind you know I'm fine cool you know MRI that's cool I'm cool but when I got there, and they took me in the back, had me take my shirt off and all this, walk back there, I saw these two machines. One machine just had like a circle, and you know, you kind of roll you through it, and I thought that's what I was going to be on. But they took me to this other machine, and this thing was like a tube. And they're telling me I got to lay on the table, and this thing, you know, you go in that tube, and it's like real close and everything. So... I was all right for a second. My shoulders hurting and everything. And so a lady put me in. She put a little thing on my shoulder. Said, I want to hold it in place. And then she said, you want some music? I said, well, yeah, I'll take some music. She said, what, time, what kind of you got? She said, you got any kind? I said, well, give me some country music. You know, I, let me listen to some Kenny Chesney or something. Let me listen to something. And then she put me in that thing. She said, going to take about 25 minutes. And boy, she, when she rolled me in there, and she put this thing in my hand, she said, this is the call switch. If you need to call me. I was in there for about 30 seconds. The lady's name was Michelle. I said, I was, Michelle, Michelle. I'm breathing. I'm hyperventilating. I'm pressing. I started pressing the thing, pressing the thing. And finally, she, came, she said, what's wrong? I said, I can't. This one I, told, I said, I can't do this. I said, I can't do this. She said, why? I said, I can't, I can't breathe in there. I said, I can't breathe. I said, I, so, I don't know why. I said, I can't. And she said, well, she said, well, what I can do, she said, I can, I can give you some glasses. And, and, and you're going to look back, and it's gonna, you're going to be able to see what's behind you. And that will make it a little better. You, you want to try it? And I said, well. You know, I'll try it. And so I got in there. She pulled me in there. 
And I had my eyes closed, you know, I'm trying to keep them closed. Then I opened it up, looked back, and I could see where I was going to be in a few minutes if I could just hold on. Now, here's the thing. As I was laying on that table, I started thinking. I said, why is it that I can't breathe? There is no connection between the circumference of this tube and the function of my respiratory system. Why is it that I can't breathe? Why am I sweating? Why am I nervous? Why am I claustrophobic? And I had to admit that it was something in my mind something in my spirit in other words wasn't nothing wrong with the machine wasn't nothing wrong with Michelle but it was something wrong with me that's causing me to function like I'm functioning and so I said all right God we got 25 minutes here and what I'm gonna do for these 25 minutes and this is what I did I said God I need the names of all my staff people and so what I started doing I started praying for the abundance of all my staff people. I said, God, I want you to bless Tony and bless Kathy. And God, I want you to bless uh, Melissa and, and bless uh, uh, John Kevis and bless all the band. And after I ran out of staff people, I started praying for the officers. I started praying for the board members. I started praying for the deacons. And after I ran out of deacons, and after I ran out of board members, I started praying for my family. God bless my wife. And God bless my daughter. And God bless my sons and after I ran out of family I just started thinking of members God bless this one and and you know what after a while before I knew it when I took the focus off me and started focusing on God and somebody else the lady started telling me you only got two more minutes two more minutes left but it was my attitude that needed to be fixed. And this is what I said. My first response was physical. I can't do it. That's what I told her. I can't do this. And that's what a lot of us say when it gets tough. I can't do it. But what the Lord will do, he'll give you some glasses. <laughs> can, can I, if you allow him, he'll give you some glasses to allow you to see things differently. Finally, finally, finally. In order to be like Jesus, last thing. You want to be like Jesus in being kind and forgiving. And let me just shorten the verse up. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says this. Read everything before it when you get a chance, but this is what the verse says. Be kind to one another. And then what it does, it ups the ante. Look at this next one. Tenderhearted. She. Tenderhearted. You crazy? In this world, like we live in now, I got to be tough. I got to be tough. I got to be tough. And it said tenderhearted, and then it ups the ante again. Forgiving one another. Can't just talk about it in the house, at home, at the family. You see, what makes for a terrible family experience when you become an adult, you look back on it and say, boy, that was whack. Or mama's crazy. I'm telling you what it is. No kindness, no tenderheartedness, and little forgiveness. 
you got to be kind. Let me just make a plan. You got to be kind to your crazy husband. And kind to your crazy wife. Your no cooking, never know how to use a stove. Always getting nails done. And what they're getting them done for, you ain't going to do nothing with them, but you're getting them done. That wife, you got to be kind. Gotta be kind to that husband. That husband that is watching James and Wade and, and you trying to talk and have a conversation about something important in there. Talking about, whoa, whoa, whoa. Watching the game. You gotta be kind. You gotta be careful what comes out of your mouth. You can't let everything, every word, every, every, every temperament come out of your mouth at somebody you love. You gotta be kind. This is a tender heart. You know what this means? And this is the part I, I don't like about the Bible. Some of y'all are more spiritual than me. I don't like everything in the Bible. I'm just sorry. Some of them verses that say don't do this, I won't do some of that. I'm just straight. I'm just telling you. I'm just being honest with you. Wouldn't mess up everything, I'd do it. Now, tenderhearted means this, that you put yourself in the other person's place. You see, sometimes the reason your spouse functions the way they function. My mother told me something one time about somebody that I just, didn't, just couldn't understand why they just acting so stupid in my mind. My mother told me, she said, well, she said, baby, they doing better than most. And then she said, she, she said, and then she said this, my mother, you know, she says things like in the Curry, North Carolina vernacular. So she said, she says, it's a wonder. It's a wonder that they doing as well as they are. You see, sometimes we want people to perform better than they're capable, y'all not feeling me. Yes, sometimes we have maxed out. We're doing the very best that we can. I know it doesn't match up with what you have in your mind, but sometimes people, based on where they came from, based on where they started, based on what they've gone through, based on what was missing in their life, based on who did not love them and who walked out on them and who put them down and kicked them out, based on how many nights they spent as a child all by themselves, based on how many suppers they did not have. And when they're functioning now, they are really, it's a wonder they're doing as well as they are. Tender hearted. Put yourself in somebody else's place. So get the sharpness off your tongue. Get the criticism and the condemnation out of your speech. Get that, get that contempt off your face and disdain off your brow. Tenderhearted. And then it says forgiving. Because guess what? Everybody who loves you is going to hurt you sometime. See, I, I, you're not going to fall in love and love somebody and not be hurt. Your children who you uh, spend all your money and ride yourself all over the county and burn up your gas and, and you will sacrifice for yourself. Your children will get up in the morning and walk right by you and not even have the dignity to open their mouth and say good morning. But you're going to have to understand that forgiveness is the key. 
forgiving one another. Now, then he, then, then he really gets tough. We got to stop. He said, then he gets tough. He gets personal on us. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. He said, well, if you don't, he said, he said, if you don't have a model for this, he said, we look at yourself. He said, didn't God, wasn't he kind to you? Isn't he tenderhearted for you? Didn't he forgive you? Just like Christ did it for you. That's the same way I expect you to do it for other people. Well, you got two systems to choose from. You choose the first Adam. When he was called on the carpet about how he failed, he pointed to somebody else and blamed somebody else. And somebody else was always the reason why he was failing. And if I didn't have Eve, I wouldn't be in this mess. If my children weren't here, I would have more money. I would have more money. If my husband was there, I would be that. If this was, it's always somebody else. Or you can choose the other Adam. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Dealt with the difficulty that came with the calling that was on his life. Dealt with it. He endured it. And every good choice you make comes with some challenges and difficulty. But it's not a time to attack somebody else because of what you're going through. He endured the cross. And then it says he despised the shame. He didn't despise other people. He despised it. This is what he said. He said, I'm not going to define myself by the conditions that I'm in. I'm not going to see myself as a crucified, defeated Savior. I will rise again. They'll bury me. They'll seal the tomb. But I will make it out of this. He said, and God honored that. Now he sat down. At the right hand of the throne of God. You have two choices. You choose the first Adam who functions solely in the realm of the physical. Or you can choose the second Adam who functions solely in the realm of the spiritual. You follow the first Adam, you're going to max out. It's going to run out. It's going to end. Sometimes quicker than you thought. But if you follow the second Adam, it lasts forever. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet.